I got a call from the CEO of Expedia, Rich Barton. And he brought me in as an employee one of this business. And I grew it to about a billion dollars in several years. And I really felt like I got my MBA through that job, that I came in at a ground floor of a public company and got to be an entrepreneur and build a business, a very large business, inside another business. Welcome to Lead With Your Brand, the podcast that explores exceptional career success stories, inspiring and insightful personal brand journeys that answer the question, are you coffee or are you Starbucks? Fascinating conversations with leaders about their career breakthroughs from entertainment, tech, media, and more. You'll learn how they've turned up the volume on their brand to unlock success. Firsthand, uncensored, and real, as told by people who've been there. And plenty of inspiration and practical tools to help you lead with your brand every day as you drive towards your next career breakthrough. And now, here's your host, personal branding expert, diversity advocate, and keynote speaker, Jason Patria. Hey everybody, Jason Patria here, and you are listening to the Lead With Your Brand podcast, which is the podcast for folks just like you who are looking to turn up the volume, show your value, and lead with your brand to your next career breakthrough. Well, we have a spectacular show for you today and an amazing guest. It is Matt Hewlett, the CEO and president of Pet Med Express, and the author of Unlock, You Can Change Your Business Destiny, a brand new book. Now, one of the things that I love about talking to Matt is that he has really become the go-to company fixer in his career. And in speaking with Matt, it really made me think, what are you the go-to person for? In all of the world of competition that's around you, in your career audience, what are you the go-to person for? Now, you know you can be a jack-of-all-trades, and I know that you are great at doing a whole host of different things. But here's the deal. When you're just trying to be everything to everybody, you know you're really nothing to no one. So you have got to communicate your value in a way that people know when to come to you and know when you're not the right person for them. And that happens all of the time when we are out in the consumer world interacting with consumer brands. If you are looking for the lowest price on Tide laundry detergent, then Walmart is your go-to retailer in that moment. For others of you, you have that time where Netflix or HBO Max, one of those is your go-to place to like snuggle up on the couch and get some enjoyment. For others of you, you've got that special retail place like Gucci or Tiffany that is your go-to celebration retailer where you go and get something special for yourself or something special for a friend. You see, it's all about being the go-to for something. And as I look back in my career, that can evolve over time, but the key is that it has to be different than what you do. Now, you all know that I've spent almost 30 years in the human resources and learning development profession. There was a long time when I worked inside of corporations that, quite frankly, I was the go-to guy 
for being the non-HR HR guy. I was the go-to guy to make HR things cool. And that was my calling card. That was my signature brand inside many of the organizations that I worked for. Now today as a business owner and entrepreneur, you know, I really look at myself as the go-to guy to help drive workforce engagement by making sure that employees can find their true brand voice and bring their best authentic selves to work every single day. That's why people come to me. That's why you are listening to this podcast. Now, note that's different from what I do, right? What I do is personal branding expertise and consulting and diversity advocacy in big Fortune 500 companies or even speaking and being a podcaster and a keynoter. But the value that I bring, the go-to as to why you might want to book me as a speaker, why you might want to listen to my podcast, why you might want to bring me into your company is because I'm the go-to guy that drives workforce engagement by making sure that your workforce can find their true brand voice and bring their best authentic selves to work every single day. So my question for you is, what are you the go-to person for? Right? What are you the go-to person for? And at its heart, it is what differentiates you from being a commodity-based worker like coffee to being a super premium brand like Starbucks. Now, I'm super excited to speak to our guest today. His name is Matt Hewlett. He is the CEO and president of Pet Med Express. And over his career, he has driven more than $2 billion in value creation as a four-time public company CEO and president and two-time private company CEO. He's a seasoned technology executive with more than 30 years of experience building and leading world-class SaaS and consumer companies. He's had multiple turnaround successes in the public and private sectors, including Rosetta Stone, Real Networks, and Expedia. He's also regularly featured in technology and business podcasts and media outlets like Recode, Forbes, and Entrepreneur. He's also the author of the brand new book, Unlock, where he takes his over 30 years of experience as an executive and the go-to company fixer to help you you understand the five key questions that will uncover new insight into your business potential, all without the need for costly consultants. We'll be back in just a few moments with the CEO and president of Pet Med Express, Matt Hewlett. For over 25 years, Jason has coached, trained, and developed thousands of leaders and executives, helping them achieve their next career breakthrough. He's a featured speaker at global conferences and companies to help everyone bring their best authentic self to work, show their value, and lead with their brand every day. Get more tips and tools at leadwithyourbrand.com. And we are back. I am thrilled because I have an amazing guest. It is the CEO and president of Pet Med Express, Matt Hewlett. Matt, what is going on today? Hey, living large here in Seattle, Washington. How are you? Oh, I am uh, having a blast and so thrilled to talk to you. Likewise. So, Matt, Matt, like dive in and, and tell me. How is it that you introduce yourself to folks? How do you tell people what you do and and who you are? 
It's a great question. And I have been listening to your previous episode. So I think I'm, I'm ready to answer this question. And I, <laughs> I struggled for years answering that question. Yeah. Cause I used to answer the question like, I do this. My name is Matt and I do this, my title. Yeah. And I stopped, I stopped doing that because my job isn't necessarily me. Yeah. You know, sometimes I wear wingtips. Sometimes I wear flip flops. I'm still Matt. <laughs> and, um, you know, for me, how I how I actually get this out in a very clear articulation is I always tell people not what I do, but what drives me. And I always answer with um, I fix and grow businesses Ooh. and unlocking value is what drives me. And that usually has a conversation around it because it's an interesting way to answer the question. Yeah. But I because I don't get a lot of excitement in my life around um, what others may think is exciting. And so for me, like unlocking value in people and companies really drives me. It really gives me nourishment um, for the soul. So that's how I answer that question. Yeah. And I love that you're there and able to articulate the value you bring, right? Which is unlocking all of this great potential in, in businesses and their people. So one of the reasons why I wanted to talk to you, Matt, is because you have this amazing background in doing what you just said, right? Not only at, at PetMed Express, but previously at Rosetta Stone and Expedia and, and real networks. So Matt, talk to me when you think back over your career. Career, what have been some of those big breakthrough moments that helped you to get where you are today as the CEO and president of PetMed Express? It's such a great question. And I think looking back in my career, and I've certainly worked for a lot of different companies every three to four years, I'm seemingly in a, in a different company. I look back and probably the most formidable one and formative one was when I was really early in my career, I was a product manager for a little known company called Progressive Networks that became Real Networks. At that time, this was Web 1.0. Yeah. So we invented streaming audio and video. Yeah. And I went from a kind of a sleepy software company where I started as a very young man to basically kind of the pinnacle of software product management. I thought I was like the bee's knees. And so we were a company that started out Basically, very small, became a very high flyer, what's now called the unicorn, Web 1.0. So it was the early days of the Internet. Yeah. And my product was downloaded something like 300 times a day when I started. And when I left, it was da being downloaded 300,000 times a day. Wow. So it's browsers and then there's the, my product. And it was called the real player. And so uh, that was formidable because it really helped me figure out what I was good at. It got me thinking much bigger, big, hairy, audacious goals driving something that I didn't think I'd be able to do. That's why I think it's formative and also formidable. I mean, I get home at night, crash, wake up, do it again. And, and so that was one. The other I'd say is, is Expedia, because um, I went through that Web 1.0 bubble. Yeah. Um, where, you know, and I always tell people, if you don't know what that is, ask your parents. <laughs> um, web 1.0 bubble, what the heck is that? So we're on Web 3 now. So this is the first version of the web. And um, I had just got done with a startup where we actually had to lay off a lot of employees. It's called Adam Shockwave. And that company did go on to actually exit with Viacom years later. Um, but I had left. I moved the company down to California. We got some financing, had to restructure it. And I was licking my wounds. And I got a call from uh, the CEO of Expedia, Rich Barton. 
And he brought me in as an employee, one of this business, and I grew it to about a billion dollars in several years. And I really felt like I got my MBA through that job, that I came in at a ground floor of a public company and got to be an entrepreneur and build a business, a very large business inside another business. Yeah. And so Matt, talk to me about that whole notion of being an entrepreneur, because everyone talks about that all of the time, right? And now, now that, now that tech is so big, right? I mean, th- these are huge companies for the most part. What does that really mean to you to be an entrepreneur? Yeah. And I, I, I think in general, I like to look for certain attributes across any stage or size of business. Um, so an entrepreneur, I think the only advantage an entrepreneur has versus an entrepreneur is you don't really worry about missing payroll. You know, there is always a safety net. <laughs> and the reason why I'm answering the question in a colloquial way is there is a certain kind of person. I am not an entrepreneur. I am entrepreneurial, but I am not an entrepreneur. There is a certain kind of person that just thrives off, you know, two people in a garage and let's go. I take on businesses that are a little bit more mature than that. Um, but an entrepreneur is someone who's entrepreneurial that knows how to scale within a large organization. Mm. And so it's a slightly different experience than entrepreneur. Entrepreneur, um, really has to be a lot scrappier. Um, necessity is the mother of, of invention. And I think there's some really big companies. Amazon comes to mind that are really great at spinning up pretty small businesses and working within Amazon to leverage their size and scale to build something very big. So that's how I think about it. Yeah. Now talk to me, what are some of the things that helped you really feel like you could break into being a president and a CEO of a business or a line of business? What were some of the things that you had to do differently than when you were in some of those earlier roles, really managing product? Yeah, it's a it's a great question. And I see individual contributor moving to a scale manager is quite a chasm for most folks, probably junior in their career, earlier in their career. And, you know, I'm always I always laugh, not externally, but inside when someone comes to me who's starting up the career <laughs> saying, Matt, I want to be a director. And I'm like, do you understand what that means? <laughs> Like, no, it just sounds great. And, you know, it's really, it's the ability to scale through people. And it's really, you know, hiring well and scaling through people, but it's all about people. Um, that's, the, you know, that's the shortest answer I could give you because as an IC, someone who's really focused on product or design or accounting, whatever it is, it's very difficult when you're early in your career to kind of break from that need and desire to want to do everything because you're the best at what you do to be able to articulate to one or more people or hundreds of people or thousands of people. Here's generally the North star that we want to get to. And here's how we're going to organize ourselves to get to that outcome. That's, that's quite a bit of, of work that needs to happen. Mine was trial by fire. Um, I moved from an IC role to a scale role very quickly yeah. and learned and made a lot of mistakes. And so what I've always tried to do is get back being a mentor for folks early in their career so that I can codify what they're doing and write stuff. I wrote a book about unlocking value. I mentor lots of different types of folks. But really, it always comes back to scaling through people. Yeah. And so you said that you you made some mistakes and learned from them. What were a couple of those mistakes that were the biggest learnings from you in really learning to scale with people? There's so many. Um, <laughs> I think I think the biggest mistake we do on hiring 
is um, think about talent acquisition and hiring and the team. Yeah. So, you know, talent acquisition, um, I think one aspect of talent acquisition that I used to make a lot of mistakes around is assuming the person who did a great job in one environment can do the same or better job in a new environment. And what, what is that new environment? Size of company. Yeah. Um, B2B uh, business model. It could be B2B versus direct to consumer. Not everyone is good in every situation. Very few people actually are. And so over my career, I ha- actually haven't brought all the different team members from previous jobs into the next job. Uh, second, I would say is over-indexing on hiring around experience. Mm. Um, when I hire someone for experience, it kind of goes to the first point. Not everyone was great. They just learned the environment they were great in. Yeah. So I have a great Oracle salesperson. Great. Let's take that Oracle salesperson and have them sell something else. Well, maybe they were just great at working Oracle. They just knew the system. They knew yeah. they, were, they had the they had the backing of the execs and they were great with their customers, but they weren't really the right person to kind of pivot in other environments. And so those are the two. Mm. Um, and then maybe the last one, if I may, uh, just trying to do everything myself. And so stepping back and defining what we want done, not how to do it. Yeah. And and talk to me about learning that lesson, because that seems to me something that gets in people's way in a huge manner, right? Which is we're experts, we're great at building stuff, and then we don't want to let it go. Yeah, and there's a lot of hubris with this notion as you scale in your careers. Hubris and ego. And I always call it heaven on a whiteboard. Like the executive comes in and says, <laughs> no, it's easy. You know, you just start drawing a bunch of stuff and, you know, maybe this, you've spent five or 10% of your brain thinking about something and then you're off. Or you assume that um, you your capability and aptitude is such that you can solve every problem. Over time, you over-index towards working too many hours mm. and not working smart. Um, and what you quickly learn is there are people smarter than you in diverse teams, ethnically, gender, sexual orientation, religion, and diverse thinkers actually get better outcomes. And you as the executive or scale leader generally hasn't put enough thought into it anyways. And so you learn because a lot of your ideas don't work. Mm. And so when boards, shareholders, your team members look at you as maybe not being the best at what you're doing and lots of failures, you adjust. And so that's kind of how I think about it is it's less around coming up with the right idea. It's surrounding yourself with teams and people that get the best outcome. Yeah. I love that. Surrounding yourself with people. Now talk to me about the book. You wrote five questions to unleash your company's hidden power unlock. What inspired you to write this book? Well, instead of like binge watching everything on Netflix at the at, during the <laughs> pandemic, I decided to write a book. And actually, I was like, oh, my God, like this is the ultimate time. I was just leaving Rosetta Stone. We had just taken that company private. It was a public company. We sold it twice back yeah. to back. And I was like, I was kind of on the end of my agreement. And they were like, OK, hang out. Mm. And I went, oh, my God, I'm, I'm basically have this window where I can crank a book out. And it, the book is based on this notion that. And I couldn't find anything like this. Through my career, I always took on these hard projects. In fact, I start the book out quoting Liam Neeson in the 2006 movie Taken. I'm a man with a particular set of skills. <laughs> and I, thought, I, go, I never, I've never read a book that actually helps me pivot and or transform business. I've read tons of books about entrepreneurs starting stuff from scratch. And we love to read those books. But like I take on nasty, hard jobs 
you know, problems that no operator really likes to do. And I basically took a slide deck that I've been using for the last 20 years and condensed it into this book. And I want to base, basically have any business leader be able to read this book, get a score out of it, have a, a, a fun along the way. Cause I talked to lots of interesting people like the founder of Robio and I actually aired my dirty laundry about some of the things I did well and didn't do well and come out the other side with a very good prescriptive way of looking at their business and being honest about it. And for me, it was like, how do you take a business and turn it into like a FICO score? And I call it the insight score. Mm. So I'm, ver- I'm verbose too. And I was like, this is going to really get me. <laughs> this is going to get me really focused. So like anyone on my website, like I'm like, like my friends were like, Matt, you talk forever. You're so, you're so verbose. How are you going to ever take, you know, a, a one week analysis and turn it into a survey? And And so that's why I created this, this equation. So it's, Five variables, you score them, and it gives you an answer. Yeah, very cool. And anyone can pick up the, pick up this book, and it sounds like you can really diagnose your whole business really quickly. Within 30 seconds, there's a free survey on my site. That's awesome. That's awesome. Now, you talked a little bit about, um, you know, working smarter, not harder as a CEO. So I just have to ask, uh, your wife, Anne, is also a CEO and you're, you are raising, raise, raising kids. T- talk to us about, you know, how do you have two working parents who are CEOs? How do you all work to make sure that you're prioritizing what's important to you and still get work done? Oh gosh, that's a great question. And my wife is is an entrepreneur. You know, she created a product from scratch. It's a non-alcoholic wine alternative called Rock Race. Yeah, because you know she's like either walk around with a with a with a you know a can of Lacroix, which is lame, <laughs> or if you're not wanting to drink, taking a break or can't, there's not there's no great alternative. So she started this company, and you know she's really good at go to market. She's really good at understanding her customers. But the boundaries of being an entrepreneur and a CEO, obviously, what you're getting at is how do you balance priorities? And for us, it's 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 pretty much ruthless prioritization and focus. Yeah. And sitting down and discussing what is important to us. This is where we're going to spend our time. And then what's not important? Like Warren Buffett has this great goal setting, I guess you call it framework, where there's this famous story. He was talking to a gentleman. He said, write down 20 things, 20 goals. And the gentleman writes them all down and Warren Buffett exclaims, okay, keep the top five. Everything else is in the trash. Mm. And we do that a lot as a family. We talk about what does our, our family stand for and where we're going to focus. And then for our business, we do the same thing. And yeah, we, we create a lot of healthy habits around that to make sure that you don't over index towards what entrepreneurs typically do is their business 24 seven. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. So you talked all about prioritization and what you stand for. So let's talk about your brand and and what you stand for. Matt, give me three words that people would use to describe you as an executive and a leader. I would say empowerment, Mm. integrity, and passion. I may add fun. I add four, but um, those would be the, the, the four. The three, maybe I'd take uh, it's hard to take one out. <laughs> Maybe I'd take integrity out because that's assumed. But I like I'm really big on heart and math, you know, mm. enjoying what you're doing, making a social impact, believing in something greater than yourselves and being hyper analytical on the way to get there. Yeah. And it's that that's those are just kind of raw components of me. 
Yeah. So tell me more about that. How do you show up with that heart and math, which is passion and fun and empowerment as a leader when you're overseeing a whole business? Yeah, I think in general, it starts with empathy, right? Yeah. Most, most of what you do in business is empathy. And, you know, we all know, I'm sure you've met many folks in the, in the media and entertainment business like this, because um, I've met some interesting characters. As someone who's just <laughs> doing the job for financial return. Mm, yeah. We've all met people like that. And, you know, look, we all, you do what you want to do on this little marble. Um, for me, it's about um, what am I doing to impact people's lives, whether they're my customers or my employees to get to the next thing, whatever that is. Yeah. That's, that's really fulfilling for me. So I show up with empathy and then I wrap that empathy around a pretty rigid framework because I'm dyslexic and I have, I've never been diagnosed as ADHD, although my uh, older son has, and he's like, dad, you drink diet Coke and Coke zero to actually get sleepy. (laughs) And I'm like, I know even like talking to you now, I'm like, there's 80 things I want to do. Um, so what I do with um, the frameworks is create a framework so that we're tracking core things like a balanced scorecard of financial, employee, team, um, environment, uh, product. And you measure those things on a consistent basis so you know where you're going a year, a quarter, a month, um, a week, and, and on a daily basis. And so I have all these little frameworks and techniques to kind of control how you run as a business, not to not to be you know a dictatorship, but to really focus in on those core things, and then overlay your authentic self, and that authentic self has to come from a place of empathy. Yeah, yeah, and so I love that you had said right from the get go, you tell people that you fix and drive businesses and you unlock value in both businesses and people. Talk to me how, as a leader, you unlock the value in people. Mm. And I I probably get emotional when I bring this person up. It it all kind of started with me as an example. Um, And I think, you know, having a coach and a mentor is so important in your life. And I've had multiple over, over the years, but for me, my eyes opened on unlocking value in people through my coach, uh, Pat Tyson, who is my Mm. uh, high school coach, uh, cross country coach, track coach as well. And he, he was, he's still a coach, by the way, he coaches for Gonzaga, which is a college in, um, in Washington state here. And if, I believe he's still the winningest coach in the NCAA for cross country. Wow. And, um, he was also the roommate of very famous runner named Steve Prefontaine, um, pre of course. Yeah. So, um, legendary runner. And so, yeah, I learned, this is a longer response. You're like, Matt, get to it. Well, here's where it got to it is. We were at an elite level of runners. Uh, I was like the worst of the best. I mean, I was barely hanging on with a fingernail in the varsity. <laughs> I'm like, I, I got, I was, you know, but my coach would show so much support. Uh, he would expect performance, mm. but so, so much support for any level of runner. And I remember the last race that I was running in, our worst runner was, you know, we're all done. And everyone's done. It was like literally the last race and the last runner's lapping. And he's just, he is getting up and doing a standing ovation. He was so excited to see this person finish. And this, this guy was like lactic acid, probably going to vomit, you know, like it was not looking good, you know, just, 
but everything he had, because he, he knew the coach was right there. And everyone got up, standing ovation. And I thought, my God, this guy may not win a gold medal, but I know he's going to remember this moment. And I, I know he's going to face adversity. And my guess is he's going to find something within him because of this coach. Mm. And so for me, it's trying to find those talents that are unique to the individual and really magnifying them and putting in positions where they can be successful. I'm not one to say, look, if you're not good at reading, I'm dyslexic or math, that you should try to do more of that. You know, maybe if you're like from Catholic school, that's a good idea. But for me, it's like try to find those things that are special about people and magnify them and then yeah. then combine those people together to make something really magical. And I think that's really where I, I try to unlock value. And when you see that happen, and I see folks that work for me um, going to really great things, better than I've been able to do in my career, that's a source of pride for me. Yeah. Now, has your brand evolved over time? Or is this sort of who you've been since you were a pretty young man? Yeah, I mean, I've had people look at, I've had recruiters look at my career and call it somewhat, somewhat schizophrenic. <laughs> And, and I just like to work on things I like to do. And so, yeah, I think the path, you know, some advice I would give is, yes, I've always been somewhat schizophrenic on what I like to work on. I didn't know what that was called. So I didn't really work on the branding per se until later in my life. Yeah. But there was always something that I had in the back of my head that I was not willing to negotiate against. And that's, I'm going to be uncompromisingly true to what I want to do. Mm. And and I learned over time to be less sensitive to what other people thought of me. Yeah. And more focused on the work and what made me happy. Yeah. And the more I did that, I attracted the people that I wanted to be around and they were attracted to me and it self-reinforced. But, you know, it wasn't a straight line. And I always give that advice to people that get way over indexed early in their career. Like, oh, my gosh, I need to like be a product manager at Facebook in two years and get promoted to a director. I'm like, or not. Yeah. You'll be fine, you know, um, but I would say the hardest thing to do when I coach someone is just to say they may be on the right, the wrong path because they're truly not being fulfilled. So I think I answered maybe five different questions. I don't know if I answered your question, but for me, <laughs> it's it, for me, it's, you know, I think I started out kind of feeling like I knew myself and had a valley and then I came out the other end really being succinct about it. Yeah. And I love that it's almost like your table stakes, right? What you filter opportunities through is, is this really something you want to do that's going to add value for you that you can, that you, that you want to do and be successful at? Yeah. It, you know, and everyone has an, a, you know, I'm not big on sports analogy, so I won't use one, but like, I like, I love Shark Tank, by the way. I, my family and I watch Shark Tank. I'm obsessed with it. I love it. You know, and my, my 12 year old is, quite an entrepreneur. We actually have Shark Tank nights where we'll play the theme music and then we'll make up products, <laughs> you know, and no, we do. And, um, but one of the things that I love about Mark Cuban in that show is he's very quick on an opinion, especially if he's not into the product category. Like I can't add any value. I'm out. And yeah. there's something to be learned about that. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Now, I know that part of what you learned was to be less focused on what people think of you or, or, or their thoughts. 
Talk to me a little bit about how maybe you've evolved or changed the way you've behaved or your brand based on some feedback where maybe your style didn't work for other people. Oh, that's a great that's a great question, particularly for me, because I I've still struggle with it is um, maybe not being detected on this show. I have a sense of humor and I'm a little colloquial. <laughs> and. um <laughs> And, uh, you know, and I've worked on it. Um, I've had a coach um, for years and I actually had um, this is about executive presence. This is the label. Yeah. Matt's executive presence and the appropriateness of behavior based on where your your situation. So I'll speak to anyone basically in the same kind of tone with the same level of content, regardless of the situation. Yeah. I always struggle with that. And I um, have a mentor named Lawrence Franklin, who was also the, the CEO of Coach and Toomey. Yeah. And he was one of my board members at Rosetta Stone. So he'd sit there as I'm presenting and actually text me feedback in the boardroom. Wow. So so about three and a half years of this, and most of it not great. <laughs> you, you know, like, Matt, I asked what time it was, and you told me how to fix the watch. <laughs> And so, um, you know, executive presence and really understanding your audience and honing the message to your audience is, is something I always work on. Um, I'm, I think I'm a much better uh, writer than I am a communicator verbally. So I, that's, that's executive presence is something I'm continually struggle with. Yeah. Yeah. Now, um, when, when you think about, having that mission around fixing and, and driving businesses to unlock value. What's next for you, Matt? What, what are you excited about in the future? Well, I want to fix this business. Yeah. So um, talk to me a yeah. little bit about PetMed Express. Yeah, it's interesting. PetMed Express, um, when I first looked at it, I was like, oh my gosh, this is the pets version of Rosetta Stone. It was Rosetta Stone was a company that was around 25 years. This company has been around for 26 years, was a well-known brand, didn't really become dynamic and relevant. And there's a lot of reasons for that. And so we ended up kind of turning that business into a successful financial outcome, which was great. And I think for my, many of my team members, it was a good personal outcome. Um, PetMeds Express felt a little similar in that it was a 26-year-old business, really the innovator in this space in terms of being a pharmacy for pets. Yeah. Been doing that really well for many, many years. Um, but kind of lost its way in terms of relevancy and investment and didn't really have a, an act two to the strategy. And over time, Chewy and others kind of piled into the space and started offering similar products and services. And so um, for me, what I saw in pet meds was probably a little bit different than someone else looking at it as I saw a company with great bones, great operating bones. Mm. We're in a pharmacy space that there's a lot of friction there. We do a lot of work behind the scenes logistically to get these prescriptions authorized by your vet. But then I also saw this brand and this brand and the customer interaction was really special to me because it wasn't like we're selling some utility, some commodity. What I heard from the, the customer interaction was we're, we're actually providing healthcare service. And we're empathetic in which what we're doing. And so the return rates for our customers are really high, not because there wasn't any alternative to get this medications because they trusted us. And so yeah. it's very hard to do that. It's really hard to build that kind of trust. Expedia, we spent billions of dollars 
people yelling the, the jingle dot com, you know, Expedia.com. <laughs> and, you know, it's very hard to build a brand. And so what excites me about the future is taking a business that, to be honest, has a lot of problems. You know, I haven't fixed a lot of those yet and turning it into just from a medication company, turning into a, a pet health expert. And so adding all these other services, new products, pet telemedicine, all this different stuff on top of it to build a really nice vertically integrated brand. That's what excites me. Yeah. And now I love that that part of your fixing and driving businesses has really been about helping build the brand, right? Harnessing what's authentic about those brands and, and how they interact with their customers. As a business leader looking at the brand of different organizations you've run, what are some things that you have done that you think our listeners could do as they look to brand their own career? Mm. Well, you know, what is a brand? A brand, there's many definitions. To me, a brand is a trusted relationship. It's a personality. Yeah. And it's an expectation. You know, think about what you think about different people in your lives and your best friend or someone you just met, an acquaintance. Usually there's some kind of feeling you get and you don't maybe understand that intellectually. There's just a feeling you get. And that's what I think about in terms of building a corporate brand. For us, with Rosetta Stone, for instance, it was a lot of work to kind of get to what was the kind of the core essence of that brand. And in essence, pun intended, it was <laughs> efficacy, you know, and expert and premium mm. and, you know, leaning into those. And what did that mean? And what are those people like? Or are, are all the customers like that? Well, there's tons of people that use Duolingo, tons of people that use Babbel, but we stand for this and it's hard to learn a language and we're going to sell lifetime bundles and we're going to put tutors in the product and we're going to do all this stuff because it's really, really hard to do this. And we're, we're there with you every step of the way. And we have a brand position that supported that. Yeah. I think, I think the same thing with people is, <clears throat> and you've made this comment on some of your previous um, episodes. Um, yeah, actually you know, many comments, uh, that is somewhat related to differentiation and distinction. Yeah. There's tons of financial people, accountants. You mentioned HR people in one of your episodes. Yeah. What's what's unique and different about me? And so you want to be really clear with people about that because um, you want to know if people want that and if you want that from that other person or that company. And so being really clear and distinctive about the, the value provide and the veneer around that value. Like I get a sense from you, but for instance, that there's a certain kind of organization you like to work with. My guess is like an accounting firm probably wouldn't want to hang with you. <laughs> <clears throat> right. And you wouldn't want to hang with them. Exactly. I don't know if that's true. I don't know if that's true, but I think the more distinctive you are and the value you provide and how you do it attracts those opportunities and also repels them. I'm not everyone's cup of tea and that's okay. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. So, Matt, a couple of fun questions to wrap us up. Uh, we've been talking about your brand and many of the brands that you've uh, led and, and spearheaded in the past. What is your favorite brand as a consumer right now? What are you obsessed with? Oh, boy. Um, you know, I've really gotten uh, obsessed and it's not going to be a tech. And I'm not going to say Apple because you're not you can't say Apple. <laughs> exactly. Um, Billy Reed is a, is a, 
um, a fashion designer yeah. um, based in the South. And I go through bouts of being either hefty or husky. And so his clothes just kind of work with me. And, you know, to me, the style of his clothing, I just am very attracted to. I'm, a, I'm very attracted to him as, as a designer in terms of how he thinks about his life and how he lives it. And the packaging and the support reinforces it. So to me, it's the whole puzzle. And you had a previous guest that did customer experience and talked about the branding yeah. and also that whole experience around it. To me, Billy Reed is just does a great job of a continuum of experience for me. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'll have to check him out as a fellow, uh, hefty to husky, uh, ki- ki- kind of guy there. Um, but thanks for that, that tip, Matt. Tell me if you were a type of car, what type of car would you be? Oh, I'd probably be an Audi e-tron. Mm, and why? Uh, very efficient and, um, very efficient, um, I attend, uh, uh, catches the eye, but not too ostentatious. Mm, awesome. And finally, Matt, what's the best career advice that you'd like to pass on to our listeners? Um, I would go back to what I said earlier is be uncompromisingly true to what you want to do. Um, mm. and be, and be very, and just stick to that as, as, as illogical as it sounds at times when you're scrapping to get a job. The jobs that you will hate are the jobs that the managers in the companies that just are not aligned to that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Matt, thank you so much for being on the show. It was amazing to hear about your experiences and how you define your brand. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. Keep doing what you're doing. It's fantastic. Thank you so much, Matt. And we'll be back in just a few moments with my final thoughts. Are you tired of not being recognized for your work? Are you ready to rise above the rest and accelerate to the next level? The Lead With Your Brand Career Breakthrough Mentoring Program will help you take control of your career, develop your own unique brand, and catapult you to a whole new level of success. You are a top performer, and the Lead With Your Brand Career Breakthrough Mentoring Program is what you need to get you there. Visit leadwithyourbrand.com to learn how. What an amazing conversation with Matt Hewlett, the CEO and president of Pet Med Express. I cannot wait to pick up his new book, You Can Change Your Business Destiny. But you know what really stood out to me about what Matt had to say? It was really his sage advice that you want to be uncompromisingly true to what you want to do. You know, at the end of the day, you've got to enjoy what you do. You've got to be able to get out of bed and want to take a shower and get dressed and go in and add that value. And that's a key element. It's more than just what you're good at. It's what you're good at and you're passionate about. Well, that's our show for today. If you liked what you heard, make sure that you are following us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts, and we'll deliver a brand new show for you every single Tuesday. Check me out on social media. I'm at Jason Patria on all platforms, and I especially love to connect with folks on LinkedIn, where I share tons of tips and tricks on how you can lead with your brand to your next career breakthrough. And most importantly, 
in your career, please, please, please don't be a boring old commodity like coffee. Make sure you are that super premium brand that everyone wants, just like Starbucks. You've been listening to Lead With Your Brand, the podcast that explores and uncovers exceptional career success stories and inspiring personal brand journeys with your host, personal branding expert, diversity advocate, and keynote speaker, Jason Patria. Remember to subscribe on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Visit us at leadwithyourbrand.com.